Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Fagala, and today Eric Gentry will be teaching on Ephesians 3. I want to first apologize to Clint Till, who taught last week, and he taught on Ephesians 2, as you might expect, and the uh, podcast app crashed. So I do not have Clint's podcast for you, which is a huge bummer because Clint did an exceptional job. He spent a lot of time on it. It was really great. It was one of those lessons where I, I think he could have taught for an hour and a half. He had so much good stuff to share, but uh, the, uh, the app crashed. So we're going to cross our fingers and hope that today, as Eric speaks and teaches here on Ephesians 3, that the podcast app cooperates. And uh, as I'm sure Eric will do a wonderful job, and I hope that uh, we're able to share that with you today. So let's go to Eric Gentry right now as he teaches on Ephesians 3. Let's see. Okay. How are we doing on time? All right, so it, I, I don't have a PowerPoint, so it would be good if you have a Bible or a device if you get it out. And uh, like, like we're going to Ephesians 3 this morning. And um, so what I want to do actually is skip to the end of Ephesians 3 to look at, um, well, maybe some of the best lines in Scripture to begin. And particularly on Father's Day, these, these words stuck out to me this morning as I was reading back through this again. So let's start in verse 14. We're going to look at 14 through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to go back, and we're really going to spend the bulk of our time thinking through an issue that's raised in the, the rest of chapter 3. But So because of that, I'm not really going to give enough attention as probably deserves this like these most beautiful words in Scripture possibly. But that's okay. So let's look at it first. Uh, somebody read 3, 14 through 21. Of Ephesians. This is why I kneel before the Father. Every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by him. I ask that he will strengthen you in your inner selves from the riches of his glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith. As a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth, together with all believers. I ask that you'll know the love of Christ as beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to swing back in touch on this, I hope, at the very end, but I thought it was uh, especially fitting, given it's Father's Day, this reflection on the ultimate dad here at the end of Ephesians 3. And so, you know, that's, that's ultimately what this text is about, is the way God dads us, you know, fathers us. It's all about love. It's powerful. The width and height and depth of the love of Christ. It's amazing. It's powerful. But as I also thought about it, I think you see in verse 16 and 17, this really powerful reflection on, you know, what fathering, dadding, I don't think that's a good word. It keeps coming to mind, though. What it's about, that I pray in verse 16, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Isn't that what you're trying to do as a dad? That's like you're, you're trying to plant something in your kids that they can't see, 
It's not something you hold or touch, but it's something that, so it's invisible, right? And you're trying to plant this invisible thing in your kids so that it would take root and may dwell in their hearts through faith, right? Isn't that what parenting's about? No? Okay. And, um, which I, which I, so here you have this example of like what it might look like to be a good dad. So it's something to probably pray on, reflect on. Hey, y'all. Um, but it also raises this really interesting point that when we're talking about faith and we're talking about things of um, God, we're often describing things that are invisible to a degree. A mysterious and hidden world. And Ephesians 3 is going to talk quite a bit about that. And so come back with me and let's start in Ephesians 3.1. And uh, we'll read through it here. Somebody read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Who's got it out already? Peter Snell? Goodness gracious. Peter, okay. All right, he's got it. I'm so embarrassed by you, Peter. 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it, now, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together, with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach, the God, to, preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Okay, that's great. Okay, here we have the earth. And so uh, we tend to think about things kind of like this, the way the world operates. Is that, um, what we tend to have is what scholars, theologians would call a disenchanted, view of the world. Okay. What that means is that we believe that there is kind of a spiritual realm, which we might call heaven, but we think about that realm as pretty far away from earth, right? So you, so you, you go to heaven one day, but it's, it's pretty far away, it's distant, so these spiritual things that happen in the distant heavenly realm happen, perhaps, but it's really distant from us, okay? So we, we call that a, a disenchanted worldview. Whereas an enchanted worldview would be like um, Harry Potter, 
Lord of the Rings, right? Where all this magical, mysterious stuff happens. You have access to these powers, these things that are, these forces that are unseen actually influence the world around you, right? So we would call that a enchanted worldview. Make sense? Okay. You following? Tracking with me? Okay. So um, we tend, especially in the Western world, the developed world, to have a pretty disenchanted view of the world. However, uh, how many of you have spent time, I mean, I've had a couple of these experiences in my life. Ho hopefully you have as well. Maybe not. But maybe spent time with some missionaries who are missionaries, third world maybe. Maybe you went on a mission trip when you were in college or something like that. And, um, you know, I, for instance, I can remember um, we had a missionary in South Africa. We're still supporting. We're still there in South Africa, our family. And uh, he came, and I was young, I was in high school, and he told stories about demon possession. And, and you know, he, he being a Western guy, encountering demon possession in Africa, and just, you know, he told me these stories that kept me up at night, thinking about if that could be true, you know, these, like, old ladies with Herculean strength and stuff like that, right? Terrifying. All right, how many of you have had experience like that? I've heard stories like that. You're like, I'm not sure if I believe it, but I've kind of heard those stories that that may happen in other parts of the world. Doesn't seem like it happens here. I'm reminded of um, screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis, who's got, he's got this, you know, it's this imaginary correspondence between two demons who are trying to influence a Christian to do bad. And he makes the observation, one of the demons, that there's two equal and opposite errors, and you've heard this a million times. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors, and they hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. Okay, so um, this is how we tend to think about the world. But that's not the way that ancient folks like Paul, who's writing Ephesians, maybe, it's not the way that he tends to think about the world. So this is oversimplification. But the way that Paul would think about the world is that heaven and earth are not so different, or not so distant, sorry. And the things that are happening here in heaven, in the heavenly realm, so if you look at verse 10, somebody read verse 10 out loud for me one more time. Up so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Heavenly places. Heavenly realms. We're gonna come back to that. Okay. And so he says the church, we're gonna come back to this, has this job, which is what? the church here earth right has this job here to make the manifold wisdom of God known where In the heavenly realms okay you following with me okay if we go back to earth here Those things are separate. But Paul doesn't believe they're so separate. Okay, He believes they're close enough 
that the church with its megaphone might somehow make the mystery of God, the wisdom of God, known not just on earth, but in the heavenly places. Okay. So we're starting off with that kind of complex notion. I'm going to try to break it down. I've used these examples a couple of times in other places, and but it makes a lot of sense today. If you look at, um, well, let's see. Let's do it like this. Here's the question. Do unseen, what we might call heavenly things, control what happens in the seen world? So do unseen things have influence, maybe not over everything, over some things, on what happens in the seen world. Any thoughts on that? I mean, the correct answer is yes. Hmm. You know, it's one of those I, yes, I, I do think so. Does anything come to mind like an example? I mean, what you, what you read about is, is that Sure, you would hope. Let me give you a couple of examples, and I'm going to try to prove that you believe this is true, and really the whole world believes this is true. And really, this is one of the things, the examples I'm going to give you, that most um, bolsters my faith. So uh, think about this example. You've got this young girl, let's say she's 16. And she goes to a party, and she's been a good girl her whole life. She's a, she's a good girl. And she goes to this party, and at this party, some of the kids are doing, you know, X drug, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. And um, she's a really good girl. And if you were to take her that drug in her own room, in her own house, and say, hey, I, you know, you should do this, and walk off and just leave it with her, what do you think she's going to do? She's a good girl. What's she going to do? She's, she's not going to do it. But suddenly she's at this party. Man, everybody else at the party is doing it. And so what does she do? She takes the drug. Right. Why does she take the drug? Yeah, why does she take the drug? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Okay. So peer pressure is not something you can touch, right? So I can't reach out and touch peer pressure. I can't draw peer pressure. But, of course, I can identify peer pressure when it's at work. You follow? Does that make sense? And so peer pressure is such a real phenomenon that social scientists write papers and books about the effects of peer pressure in our world, right? So people who are non-believers identify that there is this power at work that you can't see, but you can certainly see its effects. Right? I hear that all the time, so I'm just used to talking over it. I don't even... Um, okay, so, all right, so peer pressure is an unseen thing that influences the seen world, and even non-believers would identify, yep, yeah, it's real. Okay, what's another example? So if I were to um, you know, have you down on Beale Street, and we're walking down Beale Street, and I were to hand you a, you know, uh, a rock, 
and now we're gonna tell you throw this rock through a storefront window. You would say, nah, probably not gonna do that. But if you were with a bunch of other people who are really upset about something, suddenly throwing that rock through the window seems to make more sense, right? So what's that? There's a name for that. Yeah, mob mentality, right? And so, you know, I, I was preparing this, this uh, class before the events of this week here in Memphis, and so sad, and I lament both sides of that, and I'm not going to get into that right now. But uh, mob, the mob mentality is such a real force in the world that non-believers would identify its work. You can't reach out and touch mob mentality. Like, you can't draw a picture of the mob mentality, but you can, you can identify when it's at work. So it's an unseen power influencing the world. Okay, uh, how many of you remember a couple years ago, Wells Fargo um, was like stealing a bunch of money from their clients by creating these fake accounts. And I don't really understand how it all works. My mortgage is with Wells Fargo, so it's terrifying for me for no reason. And um, they didn't steal my money, I don't think. Uh, there's not much to steal. But um, so here's, here's what I bet. All of those like lower level employees in Wells Fargo, if they were walking down the street and they saw a little old lady who dropped her wallet, what would they do? They'd grab that wallet and they'd run to that little old lady and they'd say, you dropped your wallet. And they'd hand her a wallet, okay? So why is it that that same person, when they're a part of this large institution, would be willing to knowingly steal people's money? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, incentives probably. Yeah. I think there has to be some sort of internal justification that's going on. You know, like inside of you. Inside of you, yep, you yep. How, so how can you internally justify? Because other people are doing the same. Yeah, right. So, okay, so what you see there, and I don't know what we would name that power. So you've got, you've got um, you know, peer pressure over here. You've got mob mentality over here. I don't know exactly what we would name it at Wells Fargo. Maybe just the power of greed. You know, it's this corporate greed that is so large, it's bigger than any one employee. Um, you know, maybe it's just the pressure they were, they were putting on those employees to, to make more sales or whatever, and that pressure's coming from their boss, and that pressure's coming from his boss and her boss, and it's just up the line, right? Nobody even knows where the pressure comes from. It's just this power in the institution that causes good people to do bad things. You could also see it on the flip side. So, like, we've got church camp this week, and so I can imagine there's going to be a kid there at church camp who's really not exposed to Jesus very well doesn't really know much about him, probably not living for Jesus, but he's going to be at church camp, and something's going to happen to him. He's going to have this experience there at church camp. Well, why is he going to have that experience? Well, we'd say that there's something unseen that's happening in that place when those group of people come together. And that's like the, you know, it's also a form of peer pressure to a degree probably, right? Okay. So what you're acknowledging there, what we're acknowledging, what I'm trying to get you to acknowledge, is that unseen things control the, the seen world. And this really helps you to understand the way that ancient people thought about the heavenly realms. Okay, the, the heaven is not a place that's really distant. It's a place that exists in the space between Taylor and I. It's right here. You know, it's all around us. It's the air we breathe. It's the uh, atmosphere that we live in. It's inhabiting us. We're breathing it in all the time. It's, it's basically not something far away. It's everything we can't see with our naked eyes, but that influences the world around us. 
Okay. Are you with me? Any questions, thoughts, comments? That's just setting up Ephesians 3. Comments? Peer pressure is heaven. Yes, peer pressure is heaven. <laughs> Basically that. Yeah, so, you know, our conception of, of heaven uh, develops over a long period of time. And um, that, so this, this term here, heavenly realms, like our, part of it's a translation issue that when you're translating the Greek into English, heaven is described as kind of ephemeral realm that you can't see. And so in, in English, it eventually becomes heaven as a place. That's really not the, the definition of heaven. It's the spiritual world. Okay, you follow? You still with me? So that's what we mean by heavenly realms. But yeah, peer pressure is basically heaven. Heaven's going to be like a high school party. <laughs> Which is nightmarish for me, if that's right. All right, okay. So this term or this idea or version of it, heavenly realm, shows up five times in Ephesians. You see it in Ephesians 1, 3. Uh, so if you want to look at that, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us where? In the heavenly realms. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. Shows up in Ephesians 2, 6. <clears throat> see. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. It shows up in, uh, oh, I skipped one, in 120. Uh, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Shows up in 3.10, this verse we've looked at. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and, th and authorities in the heavenly realms. I'm like a dream. Uh, kind of tongue-tied. Uh, and then in 6.10, if you look, flip over there. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay. So one way you might think about it is um, that this is what the Christian life is about. So look back at Ephesians 3 here. Um, listen to how Paul describes himself. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've, he doesn't finish that sentence, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have written about briefly. Uh, skip down to verse uh, 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Okay, inner being is the same idea as heavenly realms. It's what we It's the spiritual realm. We can't see our inner self. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long. So it's a, it's a knowledge thing. And, why, and wide and deep is the love of Christ. And to know 
this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled. Okay. So one way to think about the Christian life is like, um, so fish. Um, that everybody's swimming around down here on the earth. And what they don't realize is that there is a spiritual world that influences everything that happens around them. Okay. They're swimming around in this human soil, fully convinced they're in charge of their life, that they're in charge of everything that happens to them, that they're the boss. Okay. And I think one of the things to it's one of the ways to visualize what happens for a Christian is from a shark. That's obviously a whale. What do they have to do? And so what, sorry, y'all, this is, um, I'm trying out a lesson on y'all. I'm going to teach my five-year-olds later today, right? Okay. But it makes some sense. And sometimes metaphor is the best we can do. That what this, the wisdom of God as it's imparted to you, as the mystery of God is made known to Paul, as you grasp the love of God, what that basically does is open you up to a, to a realization and awareness and attentiveness to this other and unseen world. So, you know, I think baptism is pretty powerful imagery for what's happening here because as, as you're coming out, right, the idea is that you now have access and understanding of and you are able to pay attention to this unseen world between Trey and I, okay, the world that's influencing me, that's inhabiting me, that's filling me up, I'm able to pay attention to that world in ways I couldn't when I was just a shark swimming in the ocean. Because a shark swimming in the ocean, you've heard this with other metaphors, believes the ocean's the whole world. And he's got no idea that the things happening outside the ocean, like pollution and, you know, like boats and storms and stuff. He has no idea the way that those things are affecting the, the water he's swimming in. The water he's swimming in is just the water that he's swimming in. Right? He doesn't know anything about all that stuff that's influencing this. But what's happening for you, believers, is that you're suddenly paying attention to the heavenly realms, whatever that means. Okay, are you following? You probably, I mean, you know this. You talk about the spirit all the time. Uh, I'm just trying to help you to understand maybe exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the spirit. Okay, other questions? Actually, no one's asked one except Grant so far. Okay. I think it's just difficult. This is why it's always difficult to talk about spiritual things. We, that's a great metaphor because we live underwater yeah. Every day. So which we're surrounded by people that that's the expert opinion is that we're only surrounded by water, you know. Yeah. So think about it like this, you know, um, think about when do I come up for air in my life? Uh, when do I come up for air? When I need it. Right. 
um, when am I, what am I doing to ensure my perspective of this world is shaped by this world? Um, because if you stay down here a long time, suddenly you kind of forget. You know, the deeper you go down in the ocean, you can't see the sun, you can't figure out which way is up and down and stuff like that. At least that's what I hear from scuba divers and stuff. Right? Did y'all see that we recently sent a, um, a probe? We, I wasn't part of it, but a probe was sent down into the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Did you see this? Did y'all see this? It's like the deepest place in the world. And they found some new species of fish and a plastic bag <laughs> on the bottom. Right. Uh, isn't that a great example? That plastic bag down there in the bottom of the Marianas Trench. That those, you know, unexplored, unknown fish have no idea what that bag's about. Where'd that bag come from? Right? Yeah, right here. So what am I, when, when do I come up for air? Uh, I think that's what Sunday morning's about. I think that's what worship's about. I think that's what driving in your car, listening to Caleb or whatever is about. What I'm trying to do is come up for air. I'm trying to remind myself of this world that's unseen, but this world that I believe influences everything around me. All right, you still with me? Okay, so how do we make God's... Um, hey, Aaron. Yeah. Um, as you were talking, that just made me think, of, I don't want to go through the story, but in the Old Testament, the story of Elisha when he was fighting and um, didn't see how he could possibly win, mm-hmm. and God opened up his eyes to see the army of angels who were behind him, and I just think of, like, that story reminds Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. So we kind of, so yeah, the ancient view of battles is a really great illustration. What they basically believed was you have two armies fighting on this field, and what they basically believed was that that battle was determined by a battle that was going on in the heavenly realms. So when we march out and we fight on this field, our gods are marching out and they're fighting in heaven. And if your side's winning, it means that your God's got the upper hand in heaven. If your side's losing, it means our God's got the upper hand in heaven. And so this battle's going on up in heaven while we're battling on earth. And I think there's a temptation for us to believe, well, that's kind of cute. And um, that they had that kind of idea about the world. And we all know that the one who wins the, the battles is the one who has iron, you know, uh, coming out of the Bronze Age, or, or whatever it is, right? You know, those are those are the ones that are, or has the most troops. So I'm reminded of Daniel. Okay, actually, before we talk about Daniel, I'm going to come back to Daniel. Remind me about Daniel. Turn over to Colossians. Okay, two books away: Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and look at verse 15 of Colossians. <coughs> Uh, Yeah, sorry, chapter 1. He, Jesus, Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
So hopefully this reads a little differently to you after what we've been talking about. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created for him or by him and for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, um, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All right. Does that read a little differently to you after what we've been talking about? Okay, he's saying that everything, everything on earth and everything in heaven was created for God, for his purposes, to serve his glory. All right. So, in Daniel. Uh, Daniel and the Israelites have been in exile for a long time. And they're now under Persian control. And they want to go home. And so, you've maybe heard me tell this story before. Daniel starts praying. And he prays for three weeks. And he fasts for three weeks as well. And on the 21st day, he looks up, and there's this figure standing there walking towards him. And it's this buff guy. Uh, but he looks a little weird because his legs are made of bronze and his face is made of fire. So he's, he's buff, but he's also kind of weird. And uh, Daniel's scared of this guy. So he falls on his knees and uh, like this to humble himself before this figure that's approaching. And the guy tells him, hey, uh, angel. This is the paraphrase version. And uh, I've come to deliver you a message. And uh, Daniel's like, that's great, uh, but why'd you come? He says, well, you started praying, so God sent me. And he said, so I've come to deliver you this message, and this is the message, Israel's going to get to go home. He said, the problem was when I came to deliver the message that the angel, he calls it the prince of Persia, but it's a spiritual <coughs> figure. And it's common in the Old Testament to describe rulers and authorities with spiritual words. He says, the prince of Persia, the angel of Persia, caught me in the heavenly realms. You've got this angel who's coming to deliver this message. And this other angel, boom, the prince of Persia stops, grabs him, and they lock, lock hands, and they're having this cage match in the heavens. And Daniel doesn't know about it. He's just praying, but they're up there wrestling the whole time. And he says that eventually, the Michael, the archangel, comes and he tags in so that I was able to come and deliver this message that I'm going to have to go back and finish fighting the prince of Persia, so I've only got a few minutes. Here's the message. You're going to get to go home. And um, it's really, again, it's kind of one of those stories you hear and you think, that's kind of cute that they thought about the world that way. But that's not just the way the ancients thought about the world. That's the way that Jesus thought about the world. In Revelation, the um, churches, the seven churches, John is told to write a letter not to the seven churches, but to who? You remember? The angel of the seven churches. This idea that like the church has this spiritual force that's above it, that's protecting it. And what you have here in Daniel is you've got the angel of Persia, that nations have their own angels that oversee them. And, um, and so this clash in the heavens is determining what's going to happen here on earth. Okay, we're going to run out of time. Wow, not even close to finishing. Okay, so let's look back at Ephesians 3. Let me just point some out here.
Hmm. Okay. The job of the church in Ephesians 3 is to make the wisdom and mystery of God known, in verse 10, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And so that is a very ominous and frightening task as you think about the power of the heavenly realms that we're up against. And our job as a church is to announce to the forces that are unseen, that control the seen world, as Colossians says, that they were made for God and to serve God. And as Ephesians explains, that God's purpose is the reconciliation of the whole world, everybody being united. It starts with Jew and Gentile and ultimately extends to the whole world. So what the church does is it announces to the world, okay, sorry, to the world and to the powers controlling the world that they need to fall in line so that God's purpose of uniting the whole world and heavenly realms can occur. Okay. Does that make sense? Hopefully you're thinking, no, that does not make sense. How would we possibly preach to the powers? How would you do that? What do you think? Now, I mean, you know how to preach to somebody. And, um, you know, as it relates to this message in Ephesians of unity in Christ... You know what to say to Michael if Michael's a non-believer about the God who is pursuing him, this loving father who wants to have a relationship with him, to be united with him. You know how to say that to Michael. How do you say that to the powers that have influenced Michael's life for his whole life that he's not even aware of? Okay, how do you say to those powers, Michael belongs to God, and you do too, so fall in line? I think you have to name them. Mm. Yeah? Maybe. Yeah, identify them. Knowing what they are mm-hmm. is helpful. And then yeah, that's great. Call, you know, calling them out under the that they're under the power of God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that means a lot of hard conversations within the church about what those things are that are influencing those of us who are in the church who are affected by those powers and then how those same powers are affecting the world around us. Yeah. That's a great point. So, um, you you remember this language in in things into which the angels long to look. Remember that language? Remember that? First Peter 1 Peter 1.12, you can look it up. The point there is that, and then we've been describing this, as Christians, one of the things you are giving, one of the things you are given is an awareness of, an understanding of things that even the powers don't get, don't understand. 
And we, kind of, we tend to think about the angels as above us in the hierarchy. That's not true. It's God, us, angels. Um, and so, uh, like in Daniel, for instance, you know, you've got this angel of Persia who's resisting the will of God, but he's, but is that because of evil or is that because of ignorance? That he, he's been given a job of governing this nation. And in his mind, the best thing for his nation is that the Israelites remain slaves there. And he doesn't have a vision of the mystery of God, which is the reconciliation of all people, you know, the good of all people. He doesn't see that. So he's, he's doing what he thinks he's supposed to be doing by stopping this angel because he doesn't fully understand the mystery or wisdom of God. Which then, I mean, that helps explain why we need somebody, i.e. the church, to make the mystery of God known to those powers because they don't know. Even the angels long to look into those things. But how do you do it? Well, I would also would say that we're given this, uh, it seems like we're giving this capacity or this awareness to, be, to, to know these unseen realities or powers, right? But it also seems like, you know, when I come out of that water within dwelling person, the Holy Spirit, uh, it still doesn't seem like it's immediately available to me that I'm made aware of these unseen things. I need someone to train me to see those things before I can do what you were saying is identify them. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what Paul's praying there in the prayer that we started with in Ephesians 14. He, what he's describing is a growth. Yeah. You know, um, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. Like, so there's going to be a process here. It's not going to be happening overnight. Um, that you're fully aware. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 Or fully um, enlightened to that. Yeah. Do I make it known by the choices that I make that they see? That's great. You know, yeah. that I don't mm -hmm. choose. Like, I'll, the 16 year old girl, I don't choose to do that. Yeah. I say no. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the powers and observation would say, hmm, that's curious. She would do that. Why would, yeah, she, why would, why would she, she do that? Yeah. 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 And that's in screw tape letters. Uh, <coughs> that's basically how the, the Christian preaches to those powers is he just doesn't do what they want him to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Disobedience. Um, so any other thoughts on that? And I'm going to wrap up. I think those are great answers. If you look at you know three fourteen through twenty, what's really interesting or worth noting that three now better what it's getting to is like we've got this task to reach the powers. Although you don't necessarily leave feeling like equipped to do that, you're not sure what that means. So I want to challenge you to 
begin exploring that and we can talk about it. But as he makes that call for them to preach to the powers, what does he immediately do in 14? Peter's onto it. Praise. So I do think, however the church is to fulfill that task, prayer is going to be central to it. Brian, you're raising your hand? I think, too, if you keep reading, like, Ephesians chapter 6, right? So that's what you have the armor. Mm-hmm. The armor of God. Yep. Eventually, you know, that's that's how we do it. Yep. That's how we overcome. That's great. One thing I think is, um, I always, I, I, every time I come back to this thought, it still gets to me. The fact that Jesus prayed, like, mm. is something that you, like, you die. Like, what? And so there has to Basically, there were powers around that he was aware of. Um, but like Peter said, he had to ask for that higher that was above all yep. the surrounding influences and, and realms around him. Um, and yet he's the one who talks about, hey, you're the fulfillment of, of God and the fulfillment of Jesus and, and the breadth of the full knowledge of him. And yet, like Peter said, he's literally going back to that point even as he's you know, facing his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Absolutely. Um, so you think, it'd be like, well, I've sent here on the earth like, and the superhero know mantra to be able to just you know conquer all again he's weeping and yeah. crying and, and all this these um, knowing the forces around him although he would be triumphant still he's asking and begging yeah yeah, so in uh, Luke, Jesus sends out his disciples two by two, and they come back and they report on what happened. And they're kind of describing like, yeah, it went pretty well. And he's like, let me tell you, I saw Satan fall like lightning when you were out there. And so what he's, what he's saying is, like, I saw something incredibly powerful happen in the heavenly realms that is going to have impact on the earthly realms for the rest of time when, when you went out two by two. And I think to, to, to Breon's point and Andy's point and, and Peter's and, you know, everybody's here, okay, that um, the way to be prepared to go out two by two is in Ephesians 6, the armor of God. So here's what we're going to put on. We're going to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness as we go out. And we're going to, everything we're going to do is going to be bathed in prayer. That's what we're going to do. And then maybe we'll do our job. But we should keep talking about it. All right, I'm going to stop. I gave you one minute. Sorry. That's great. I only need one minute. So uh, thanks for teaching. Did great. I feel like I have it lucky. Next week I don't have to talk about spiritual. Okay, I want to thank Eric for doing a fantastic job with Ephesians 3. I know he had a lot more to get into. That seems to be the, the developing trend. I will teach next week on Ephesians 4, and I'm going to try and get through it all. We'll see if that's possible. Um, I want to thank you all for uh, listening to this and for being a part of this podcast. We've been coming up on two years of doing this now, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. It has been to me. Um, Again, next week, Ephesians 4, we'll be doing that. If you're in the Memphis area, uh, Highland Church of Christ, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the Bridge Builders classroom. We would love to see you. Have a wonderful and blessed Father's Day, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.